0: So go ahead and subscribe to us and follow along. Well, the grace and the peace of our Lord be with all of us gathered here in worship on this campus, in the sanctuary, in the Family Life Center, and to those of you who are our extended church family watching online from wherever you are today, I welcome you into this time of worship and this time of study, and I invite you to join with me in your Bibles in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Today, we conclude our 10-part series called The Cruciform Way. And today, let me just give you a disclaimer. We're going to have a lot of Bible today. I just want to say that out loud, out front We will be bathed in Bible by the time we leave this place. I hope you don't mind that. But there will be a lot. And now trust me, there will be some dense, thick parts of this scripture we're about to read and study. It's one of those passages of scripture that when you're reading it casually, well, then sometimes it can be frustrating because there are so many words and turns of phrases on top of each other that you get a little bit lost and you want to back up and say, what are we talking about here? It's one of those passages. But if, if you hold on and if you trust me for just a few moments, we're going to make our way through this text. And I believe with my whole heart, we will dig through the surface and find buried beneath a treasure hidden in a field, a treasure that may very well be a a rescue to somebody today. Now, to help you in approaching the text, let me just go ahead and tell you what it says. Can I do that? So Paul has been, for this entire series that we've been in, this entire first part of 1 Corinthians, he's been talking to this church because he knows this church in Corinth, well, it's it's vulnerable to do what every church in any age can do, and that is we can become, if we're unexamined, if we're asleep to our identity and who we are, we can become wooed, even kind of enchanted, by the easy ethic of a culture around us, so much so that we can blur the vision of who we are intended to be as salt and light right, in a world that is thirsty and, and dark. So he's addressing the Corinthians and he's saying, look, of all the influences around you that help shape you into who you are becoming, understand if you are in Christ, it is the cross. It is only the cross that Christians are to live a cross-centered, cross-focused and cross-shaped life. That the cross is not simply a one-time event in history, but the cross is a kind of way of life to which you and I are called to, to live in this world. It's not just a ticket out of this place and into heaven. I mean, it's not just an assurance of eternal life after death, but it's a, it's a call to a way of life before death. And he's been saying that the entire scope and sweep of 1 Corinthians. But now we get to the end, and he changes what he's talking about from the cross to resurrection. Because that's where the cross always leads you if you are in Christ. Without the cross, there is no resurrection. Without the resurrection, there is no cross. And and he's saying to these who are listening, if you live the cruciform, cross-shaped life that I've been appealing to you to live, it leads to resurrection. In fact, if I were to say the entire sermon in one single sentence, that's what I would say today. I would say resurrection is where this whole thing is going. I mean, every cruciform act of compassion, every one of the 10,000 micro expressions of your cross-shaped life, when you empty yourself, when you humble yourself, when you live as a servant among the least, when you share something you have with someone who doesn't have what they need all of these micro-expressions of the cruciform life, they all lead in the same direction, and Paul says, it's resurrection. This whole thing has been headed to resurrection. But I want you to hear how he, he implores them to believe that this is going to a place that is so worth the journey that it ex- it exceeds their capacity to even comprehend it. Now, I'm gonna read this text, and, and then... At the end, I I, want to unpack what it is that I think his message may be not just for those at Corinth struggling to see if this life is even worth it, but maybe some here who are also struggling to wonder, is this cruciform way even worth the journey? So, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and we begin reading in verse 12. Now if if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead I mean if there is no resurrection of the dead then Christ has not been raised and if Christ has not been raised then our proclamation well, it's been in vain and, and and your faith has been in vain we we are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified of God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it's true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your, your faith is futile. And you're still in your sins. Then, then those who have died in Christ, also they well, they have perished. And then, the key anchor verse of this entire passage. If for this life only we have hoped in Christ, we of all people are most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have died. For since death came through a human being, the resurrection of the dead has also come through a human being. For as all die in Adam, so all will be made alive in Christ. But each in his own order Christ, the first fruits. Then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. And then skipping down to verse 35, we continue the reading. Verse 35 picks up. But some will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? Fool. What, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And as far as what you sow, you do not sow the body that is to be, but a bare seed, perhaps a, of wheat or of some other grain. But God gives it a body As he has chosen, and each kind of seed, its own body. Now, not all flesh is alike, but there is one flesh for human beings another for animals, another for birds, another for fish. In fact, I want you to pay particular attention as I read these words, where you have heard this combination of words before, somewhere else in your Bible, perhaps in the first few pages. He says, not all flesh well, is alike, but there is one flesh for human beings, another for animals, another for birds, another for fish. There are those heavenly beings and earthly beings, but The glory of the heavenly is one thing and the earthly is another. There is one glory for the sun, another glory for the moon, another glory for stars. Indeed, star differs from star in glory. So it is with resurrection. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor, raised in glory, sown in weakness, raised in power. It is sown a physical body, it is raised a spiritual body. If there is a physical body, there is also a spiritual body. Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam, Jesus, became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the physical and then the spiritual. The first man the first man was from the earth, a man of dust, the second man of heaven. As was the man of dust, so are those who were made of dust. And as is the man of heaven, so are those who are of heaven. But just as we have been born in the image of the man of dust, we will be also bear the image of the man of heaven now by this point in his writing paul is even confusing himself he's like i don't even understand what i'm saying so he goes what i'm trying to say brothers and sisters is this <laughs> Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I will tell you a mystery. We will not all die, but we will all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised to imperishable and we will be changed. For this perishable body must put on imperishability and this mortal body must put on immortality. When this perishable body puts on imperishability and when this mortal body puts on immortality, then the saying will be indeed true and will be fulfilled. Death has been swallowed up in victory Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved, be steadfast, immovable, always excelling in the work of the Lord, because you know that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Amen. Amen. There is something about letting the words of Scripture just sweep over us. And I want to tell you could, you, could you hear the passion in Paul's voice? The urgency, because he knows he's well, he's speaking to a congregation who has a mixed bag of beliefs about what happens when we die. There are competing views about what happens when, when this life is over. And in Corinth, there were some who perhaps were influenced by the Greek thought of what happens in the afterlife. And that means the idea of the Greek thought that we have disembodied souls. In other words, that there's a body and then there's like a spirit and then when you die, the spirit escapes the body and goes to, to exist in some kind of cloud-like state, right? Not unlike the way we often think of heaven these days, even though that idea is more influenced by Hollywood than the word of God. I mean, we, we think about this, and we see it on TV and in movies, and we're more influenced by those images of, you know, like a cloud city and, and people in, dressed in white and, and playing harps and standing in long lines waiting to get their angel wings or something, like, like we become angels or something. It's, it's not only bad theology, but it's, but, but it's not even compelling, that version of what happens when we die is not only non-biblical, but it's just not that compelling. I mean, we're going to order our lives in such a structured, disciplined way that we sacrifice, give up our lives, lay it down for the sake of another for that. But the word of God says that what is to come is so much better than that. But there is another version in, Cor- in Corinth, another way that they think about the afterlife, and it's more of like a, I guess, you know, um, uh, 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 um, what's the word I'm looking for it's on my notes here have you read my notes yet the nihilistic. yeah I just went blank there the nihilistic kind of, of view the idea that when this life is over well it's just it's over that you live you live you live you live you die it's over lights out check please done And that's very popular in the land of Corinth and is not too unpopular today. There are many who believe that, that all this life is futile. It's just kind of you live, you die. You didn't ask to be alive and you live. And when it's over, it's just done. I'm going to tell you about something I heard the other day. I picked up on this quote. By the way, I love Neil deGrasse Tyson. I think that he is one of the most brilliant uh, people on the planet. He is an astrophysicist and an expert in quantum mechanics He's a brilliant man, and and not only is is he fully capable with the the mysteries of the universe that that I just love to listen to, he's also animated, which I kind of like that too. And so he he describes the way the earth and all the universe works together, and and yet he was asked one day about what happens when we die, and and I picked up on this quote. Listen to what he says. And by the way, let's, let's take that off the screen for just a minute. So in all, in all deference to Neil deGrasse Tyson, I have all the respect in the world. But he's coming from a secular viewpoint. It is not his job to attach meaning and purpose and a sense of, of, of theology to it. So we don't blame or judge him for this. This is where he is. But I find it provocative because this is what some believe happens when you die. All your entire body is made up of molecules. This is my Neil deGrasse Tyson voice, you know. Molecules made of stardust that are fueled by the flora and the fauna and the animals that you eat. And when you die I just love his voice in his anes when you die, your body decomposes back into the Earth, and those same molecules return to those very same flora and fauna or fauna from which you came as you descend into your state of non-existence. I mean, this is the word of God. Thanks be to God. I mean, how compelling is that? Is that what we believe about what happens when we have breathed our last? I mean, is that what you think? Is the universe ultimately a cold, dark, empty, isolated place where When you experience life in all of its joy, those moments of life are just what? what Momentary blips on the radar screen in an otherwise empty and promiseless universe? I mean, the best moments in life that we celebrate and and wish would never end, like watching a one-year-old have his first birthday cake and he's elbow deep into the cake and you can't tell where his face begins and the icing stops. Or the daddy-daughter dance when they have matched and they look so good. Or maybe the dance they have later at her wedding when there's not a dry eye in the place. Or the exhilaration you feel with first kisses in this life. And how the heart pounds and you realize there is something here. I mean, are all those moments that feel like so much life, or are they just temporary blips on the radar? They're here one minute and then they're gone forever. Or are they signs of something more? of something that will last. And Paul says, Descend into your state of non-existence. No! Paul says... We don't order our lives in this way simply so that at the end you ask for the check and then the lights go out and somebody locks the doors. It's not that it's over. In fact, the most powerful verse is verse 19 where he says these words. For if in this life we have hoped in Christ, if for this life only we have hoped in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have died. And with that image, Paul does something that is extraordinary. And you might miss it if you're just kind of casually skipping through this passage that we just read a moment ago. He takes a canvas and he paints on this canvas a mural. And he says, if you... If you want to understand what really has happened in the Christ event, in the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus, then the best way I have to describe it is to think about our very first story at creation. Did you notice a moment ago in the text there were words like Adam and dust and seeds and animals and birds and fishes and sun and moon and stars because those are the images of creation. Paul is essentially saying to the Corinthian church, if you wanna know something about where this is all going, will you first have to go back to see where it started? And he reaches back to Genesis and he pulls forward across the generations those images and he says there was a moment when Adam, the first of us, was made in a land that was perfect it was beautiful eden was filled with grace and harmony and shalom and we walked in the cool of the day in peace with one another and with god and and all things that were around were made so very good that god himself declared it to be good and adam you were good and yet adam does something that we all do in fact let me put it this way the reason the story's even in there is because we are Adam. We are Adam. At some point, we are all born into a beautiful state of God-likeness and beauty and grace and perfection, and yet in our own Edenic journey, and I don't know where it begins, here, 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 somewhere along the way, we begin to realize I do have kind of a free will, and I can reject the very one who has made me and loves me the most, and we do every single time one of us and Paul is he reaches back and uses Adam language he said hey the first Adam did this thing because he's attempting to demonstrate to all of us that because we are attached to Adam we do the same thing that we don't trust God and we assume that God is not lovable or loving and so we choose our own path and that path leads down pathways of self-destruction and death And so because we are made of the same stuff as Adam and are prone to the same propensities as Adam to choose our own way of sin and degradation and despair, then we will spiral just as he, which means we needed somewhere along the way for another to be born out of the dust, but not just born out of the dust, born out of the dust of earth and out of the glory of heaven, that two would become one, that there would be a God-man one who was fully one of us and yet not really exactly like us so that we might be rescued from our cycle and our patterns of self-destruction and sin and, and, and degradation. One of the best analogies that I've heard over the years to describe what Paul is saying here that Jesus did for us is think about mountain climbers who are climbing this long, tall, steep mountain face, rocky, sleek, And yet you know because you've seen these images, the first mountain climber is tethered to the second mountain climber who's tethered to the third and fourth and however many are climbing party. But it's the first mountain climber who is charting the way and setting the posts, the places where the other mountain climbers will get their footing and their grip. And he's charting the way. And I want you to imagine that at the top, in the middle of this long, steep mountain, the first mountain climber slips and loses his grip and plunges into the abyss. But because he's tethered to the second mountain climber, the second mountain climber sees what's happening. It's not his fault that the first mountain climber lost his grip, but I'm connected. We're on the same journey together. And now that he passes by, he knows what's about to happen. He holds on tight. But despite every effort to hold on, he too is going to fall because the, the rope tugs him with all the momentum of the first climber. And the third climber sees the same thing. Both fall to his side. The rope tightens and he comes off of the mountain as well. Until the last climber who sees all of it happen. And he knows what's about to come his way. He sees one climber fall and another climber fall. And he takes his hammer and he digs it into the side of the rock as hard as he can. And with both hands, he grips in such a way that he feels the tug of the first and the second. And then he feels feels the full weight of all of their momentum and all of their fallenness in his own body. His ribs are crushed. His skin is peeling. He can feel the hardest tug at him. And yet he holds he doesn't let go. And slowly he begins to climb up the mountain until they find their footing and they are saved from utter destruction. They don't have to submit to the cycle of self-destruction and decay and death. And that is what Christ has done. Because we are all connected to the same story, we are all prone to fall. But Christ at just the right time has interceded that we might not, and we might break the very cycle of self-destruction and death. That's why in around verse 48, he says these words. As was the man of dust, the first Adam, so are those who are made of dust, us. And as is the man of heaven, Jesus, so are those who are made or those who are of heaven, But just as we have been born the image of the man of dust, we will also bear the image of the man of heaven. What is Paul saying? That Christ came and did what Christ did on the cross and rose the way Christ rose from the grave so that you might experience the very same thing that we see happen in Christ. That you, Will experience not only a cruciform way of self-emptying and laying down your life, but the end result of that cruciform way is complete and total resurrection. Resurrection. That's why in the text he's given a, a couple of nicknames. He's called the first fruits. The first fruits and the firstborn of a brand new creation. One of the best. Most beautiful places where he is called the firstborn of this new thing that is happening is in Colossians chapter one. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn, there it is, of all creation. Well, which creation? This brand new creation now, because the last Adam has done what the first Adam could not do. And now God has the capacity to restore here and now to all creation the very vision that God had for the original creation. So the thing that happened in Christ was the inauguration of a brand new created order. So the writer of Colossians continues, the firstborn of all creation, for in him all things in heaven and on earth were created, things visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or powers, all things have been created through him and for him. He himself is before all things and in him, in him all things whole." together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn, there it is again, of the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him God was pleased to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, by making peace through the blood of the cross. What is it that God reconciles to himself through the blood of the cross? All things. And when you, you, you read Paul using creation language, it's not accidental. It's not just poetic. It's not just artistic. He is attempting to say, the thing that broke in Eden is repaired because of the cross. And in the resurrection of Jesus, you and I too will be raised, that we will experience He's the first fruits, but we are the fruit that come after. Everything you see happen in Christ. Is meant to be happening in you. This is why in 2 Corinthians we hear these words. So if anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. Everything old has passed away. See, everything has been made new. Everything. And when he says everything, he means everything. Not just your soul that somehow is disembodied and goes to live in like this, you know, Hollywood heaven. But when he says everything is made new, it means you, a new body, a new existence, a new humanity, but not just a new humanity, a new earth. The Bible speaks more about the new kingdom or the kingdom of heaven and a new kingdom and a new earth. The salvation plan of Jesus is not so that we escape the death of this world but that we experience the resurrection of this world that God loves so deeply, that God cared about so passionately that God sent his own son to die for it. So there's a resurrection not just of you, not just your inward parts, but of your body and of the earth so that there is coming a day when there is no concern for environmental hazards. There's no concern for war. There comes a day in the new earth, the new heaven, the resurrected, the new garden in this new creation when we, there is no warring. There is no racism. There is no sexism. There is no ageism. There is no ableism. There is no ism in this new creation. And in this new creation, my Lord, this is better than all the 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 shallow versions of what happens when we die is more than we just stop living, and it's more than we get a set of angels' wings, because okay, whatever. It's about you and all of the created order that God loved so deeply in the very beginning and was broken is now restored in you and in me and by faith. We are able to be a part of a brand new creation that is a world without end. Amen. 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 Yeah. So that's why living the cruciform way is crucial. Because it matters how we live now. Because the way we live now is an anticipation of the thing that's to come. That's why in this text he uses words like seeds. Your life is a seed that we are planted. That we are planted. And every one of the 10,000 micro expressions of the cruciform love that's in you, every time you express that love and empty your heart and humble yourself and crucify your ego, it is like a seed being planted in the garden of a new creation. (sighs) When I was in Tennessee, one of my favorite people in the world... It was a man named Clyde Huffman. He was about 94, 95. He's an old farmer. And he was made of, of a tougher grit than I. And I would go over to see he and his wife almost every other week in their house. We'd sit in their house, no TV, no air conditioning. And we'd sit in their living room. And we would talk and we would pray and we would read scripture. And one day, I sat there and he had his passage ready for me. I sat down and he said, Pastor, he held out this book, with shaking hands. And he said, what you got, Clyde? He said, I want you to read that when you plant me. Is that not the greatest thing you've ever heard in your life? I want you to read that when you plant me. And I said, all right, so I read a little bit right here. And I said, oh, oh, but I will not have you ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not, even as others have no hope, and then skipping down. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. And we read and read, and I said, that's fantastic, but that's even, that's even even more beautiful because of the way he said it. That, that's what I want you to read when you plant me because he's an old farmer, yeah. But more than that, Claude and Clyde knew something about what it meant to plant your life by faith. That every struggle that he had endured, well, it had been endured as like a seed being planted for a future harvest that he had no control over, but he had faith that everything I'm doing for you, Lord, will one day grow And this is the cruciform way. This this is what you and I are called to understand that every time that you give your life to someone in the name of Jesus and every time you humble yourself and you crucify your ego and you allow others to go first in front of you even though they have more than 10 items or less in their cart, and every time you're cut off in traffic and you yield, these are micro expressions of a heart that understands if I lay down my life, somebody else is gonna pick it back up. Yeah, yeah. I love what Fred Craddock says about this, about giving your life away. Fred Craddock, the the God rest his soul, the great preaching professor of the 20th century, said. You know, a lot of times we think of our lives, when we give our lives away to Christ, we think of it like a a $1,000 bill and we put it on the table and say, there, there's my life, there's all of it. And he said, there's a sense in which that's true, you're all in or you're all out, be all in. But he said, the longer I live, the more I realize you give your life to Christ, not as a $1,000 bill, but a dime here and a quarter here every time I sit in a committee meeting late at night after my long day at work, 50 cents. Every time I volunteer in the nursery, even though I've not been in worship for two or three weeks, but they need me down there, 50 cents. Every time I return a soft word to those who have spoken to me harshly, 50 cents. And you gradually give away your life until there's, well, it's Bill Withers, right? Use me until you use me up, right? Well, Clyde, Clyde, I keep wanting to call him Clyde. Claude. (laughs) Clyde Huffman he gave This is his Bible, see. And he gave it to me because we had several visits. I just love being with that man. And he, he had a saying from time to time, we'd be together. He'd had a lot of health issues. Clyde, how are you, how you feeling? Oh. And he'd say, Look, Pastor, I've read that Bible cover to cover. And nowhere in that cover, in that Bible, have I read that the Lord has promised me a bed of roses. I said, that's right, Clyde. He said, but I, I have read where the Lord said, there will be, and I love this phrase, thorns and thistles. Thorns and thistles, Pastor. And my life, 94 years old, has been filled with thorns and thistles. So I see him at church. How you doing today? Clyde? oh, I'm doing fine, I'm doing fine. How are those thorns and thistles, they're still, they're still there, thorns and thistles, Pastor. Again and again, for a few years, this was the theme. Never promised me a, a bed of roses, Pastor, but he did promise thorns and thistles. I'm just trying to be faithful, trying to put one foot in front of the next. These are thorns and these are thistle days, Pastor. Toward the end of his life, when he had like two or three days left to live, it would turn out, he would die just two or three days later. Went to the hospital and I'm there with him in the hospital room and I walk in. This time, I can tell he was He was distraught. Uh, he he had been up late. But what I thought was distraught was actually something else. He said, he said, Pastor, last night I looked at that great wall in front of me. And there's nothing on it, it's just a blank white wall. And I started to envision my life, Pastor. And I saw it like a like a, a tall mountain, and I was climbing the mountain. And I remembered when I lost my son. I felt the thorns and the thistles, and I remember I kept on climbing, and and we made it through the depression, and we lost the farm. And thorns and thistles all the way up, and I thought about my first wife for 12 years. I took care of her with Alzheimer's in my home by myself. And pastor, I see nothing but thorns and thistles. And I saw this whole mountain before me as my life. And all these thorns and thistles all the way to the top. And here I am at the top. And I feel like old Moses, pastor. Because I'm at the end and I'm sitting on top. And last night I looked back over the mountain. And I looked over the valley of my whole life. Where all those thorns and all those thistles were. And do you know what I saw? I said, what's that, Clyde? Roses, they're all roses. You can't see the rose from underneath. You're just climbing and trying to make your way up the mountain. But at the end of the day, when you turn around, you realize there was something flowering in me that I could not see at the time. So I kept on moving, and here I am. And I hear the words of Paul at the very end, the last verse that we read, at that long passage a moment ago in verse 58. Therefore, my beloved, be steadfast, immovable, always excelling in the work of the Lord because you know that in the Lord, your labor is not in vain. Yes. I just, I marvel at that mystery, beloved sisters and brothers. Because when you get tired, I know you can. When you get exhausted, and I know you can. I understand that every expression is bearing a cross that leads to a resurrection of this new heaven and new earth of which you are are a part. and maybe today you're hearing these words and you hear me talking to people as if they're in christ but you maybe you've never made that decision to be a part of what i'm talking about i said earlier that by faith you can stop the free fall into the cycles of death and the patterns of destruction by trusting in jesus and maybe you've never gotten to a place where you've you've decided to do that and i'm telling you you can do it right this very minute and if you don't know what to say or how to say it, what words to use, use these simple words, God. I am lost on my own. And I, I'm a pretty confident person, but I, I can't, I can't keep myself on this mountain. I can't, I can't find a way out of these patterns that keep drawing me away from you. But I ask you to forgive me, and if you if you will accept me and simply Allow me to follow you. Then here's my life. I yield it to you. I confess my sins to you. And I ask that you would cleanse me of of all kinds of unrighteousness, but more so I I want you to to help me see you. Because if I can see you, I will follow you every day of my life. Because I am yours, Lord. And I want you to be mine. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. My friends, if you prayed that here today, if you prayed it in the Family Life Center, if you prayed it at home, you need to understand that that is the beginning of a powerful shift in your life where now everything that you do is with purpose and every sacrifice you make will end in resurrection because of Christ in you. But we want to know about that and you need to tell a sister or brother about that. So I'm asking at the end of this service, you'll see that we have a pastor that will be down here. Um, I think Michael McCullough is somewhere, maybe in the shadows he'll be up here in just a minute, uh, to welcome you at the end of this service. If he's not here, I'll be standing right there myself, waiting on you. If you're in the Family Life Center, Pastor Annie will be over to your left waiting to talk to you. And if you're online, we want you to email us at at, uh, connect at jcbc.org so we can take seriously this desire you have to walk with Christ. But for now, I'm going to ask that we, if, as you're able, members in this sanctuary and in the Family Life Center, if you'll stand to your feet, we'll prepare for our benediction. In just a moment, at the conclusion of the benediction, we're going to do something a little different. This is the last part of our sermon series and we began this sermon series ten weeks ago with music to help frame our thinking about the cross Today, we end this series with the same kind of song, the same song, but we will sing it together in this sanctuary as well as in the Family Life Center. The song will be a concluding song for you as well. But now is the time that we scatter. We scatter into a world that is longing to believe there is more than simply the descent into non-existence. We scatter to demonstrate by the way we live that we actually believe what we have affirmed in this place. So wherever it is that you go from this place, may Christ go before you to prepare your way. May Christ go behind you in the days that you fear and feel like retreating to encourage you one step further at a time. May Christ go to your right and Christ to your left, abiding closer than even a sister or a brother. May Christ go above you in the days when dark clouds roll in to remind you there is one above the clouds who at the end of the day has the final word. May Christ go beneath you girding you with confidence and removing all forms of fear. But mostly, may Christ go in you, transforming you from the inside out until your hearts beat in rhythm with his.